I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay, so I've been talking all about Lorwyn for the last couple podcasts, and today I think it's going to be my final, my final podcast on Lorwyn. Um, so we're going to start with Secluded Glen. So it's a land. As Secluded Glen enters the battlefield, you may reveal a fairy card from your hand. If you do, Secluded Glen enters the battlefield tapped. I'm sorry, if you don't, Secluded Glen enters the battlefield tapped, and it taps for blue or black. So we made this group of lands, dual lands. One of our challenges was we wanted to make dual lands to enable you to play tribal decks, but we weren't interested in the. We weren't interested in just making because the combination of um, colors we had wasn't kind of complete. Um, we kind of wanted to help you play the tribes we wanted you to play, but we weren't really interested in making. Um, Dual lands, like just a, a smattering of dual lands, because um, normally we make dual lands, we sort of make them complete. So the goal of this was to make dual lands specifically for these decks. So the idea was, it's a fairy land, fairies are blue and black, it just taps for blue and black. And the reason it's blue and black is not because we're making a cycle, uh, it's just that fairies are blue and black. And the idea we came up with was, look, you are allowed to get a, a dual tap land. We, we um, make dual tap lands that has come into play tapped. And so the idea here was, well, it's better than that, but only if you're playing a fairy deck. Well, how do we know you're playing a fairy deck? Um, we talked originally about maybe having fairies on the battlefield, but a lot of the times, you know, what matters whether it's tapped or untapped is the early play so that you can get the fairy onto the battlefield. And so then we decided that we'd use technology of what we call reveal technology, which is, well, I'll show you my hand, and if it's in my hand, if I can prove I have a fairy, hey, I'm playing a fairy deck, look, I got a fairy. Um, and the nice thing about Reveal we found was it feels like a very low cost. Like, it feels like, oh, I'm, I'm not even doing anything. I already have the fairy in my hand. I'm just showing you I have it. Um, so it turns out it was actually not as low a cost as it seems to be. One is it affects deck construction. Like, for example, to make sure that you have a fairy, you have to play a decent number of fairies. You know, if you just have one fairy in your deck, the odds that you'll have the fairy when you need to play this land, not real high. Um, and the second thing is that it also gives a little bit of information out. So sometimes I have to show you have a fairy. Well, um, especially in this set with tribal, like maybe I'm showing you have a fairy spell rather than a fairy creature. I'm giving you a little bit of information. Um, that doesn't always matter, but it can. Uh, and sometimes what you tend to do uh, is you show things that are coming down the road. It's not that I'm casting this fairy right away, but it's the fairy I have. So you kind of know, oh, he's got this five-cost fairy, it's something the opponent now gets to keep in their mind. And that that gets to be a cost. One second. <sighs> Sorry. Uh, even though that doesn't... It's one of those costs that like seems like a nothing cost that's a little more than it seems. Uh, and we ended up making... I mean, we made a cycle in the sense that we made one of these for every for all of the creature types. I think we made all of the creature types. We might have... Did we just make five? My gut is we made all eight, but... Uh, Maybe maybe we pushed a few of them off to morning tide. Maybe, um, okay. Anyway, um, next seed seed guide ash. Uh, it's four and a green, so five total. Four of which is a generic, one green. Uh, creature tree folk druids four four. When seed guide ash dies, you may search your library for up to three forest cards and put them onto the battlefield tapped. If you do, shuffle your library. So one of the things that we did with the tree folk that I thought was kind of fun is 
we intermingled tree folk matters with forest matters. Uh, and the idea that part of playing with tree folk is, like one of the things we liked is, obviously tree folk themselves are trees, forests are made up of trees, that there's this nice natural flavor synergy between forests and tree folk. So we thought it was kind of fun to play up with that mechanically. And one of the things about tree folk in general is tree folk tend to cost more mana. Uh, and the idea here is this allows you to, um, in the middle game, play something that allows you to get to the... Because there's a bunch of big tree folk that you can play. And so this sort of helps jump you from the middle game to the end game to ca- the cast the larger things. Um, and so it's one of the things where like mechanically is doing co- cool things, but it's also... Um, you know, it, it, it's also something that sort of, um, like, it, it plays in the space that Treefoot wants to play, but in a way that's so flavorful that it just comes across as, oh, we're being flavorful, not realizing that we're doing something mechanical as well. Okay, Shape Share, one and a blue, so uh, two total, one generic, one blue. Creature Shapeshifter, it's a one-one. It's got Changeling, and two and a blue, Target Shapeshifter becomes a copy of Target Creature until your next turn. Um, so one of the things that we did in the set is most our tribal was the eight main tribes. But here's an example of us doing shapeshifter matters, or really doing changeling matters. Because um, one for one, every shapeshifter was a changeling. Had change, and every creature with changeling was a shapeshifter. Um, so the idea here is that it says, oh, well, maybe you want to care about, you know, maybe you want to care about changeling. So this is a card... I mean, it technically cares about shapeshifters, meaning you can play shapeshifters from other sets. I mean, it, it is a build-around shapeshifter card. Um, it does let you do that. But in the context of this set, it's kind of a Changeling Matters card, which we thought was kind of fun. Um, so it's an example of us messing around with tribe a little bit outside the main tribes, but in a way that was pretty organic to the set. Um, and the cool thing about it is um, it allows you to sort of say that any of my changelings can turn into any of my other changelings. So if you got this card early in a draft, I guess that this is a rare, um, but if you got this card, it all of a sudden maybe like, I'm going to do a changeling matters draft. That's not something you normally would do. So we thought that was, that was pretty cool. Okay. Shriek Maw. Four and a black. Uh, so five mana total, four generic, one black. Um, it's a three, two elemental creature. Um, it's got fear. So for those who remember, fear means it can't be blocked except by black and artifact creatures. Fear would later turn into intimidate, which would later sort of become menace as the I'm scary, you can't block me mechanic evolved over time. So this is back when fear was the mechanic. Um, when Shriekmaw enters the battlefield, destroy target non-black, artifact non-black creature, evoke one in a black. So the idea is this essentially is a terror. Terror is a spell back from early magic that destroys a non-artifact, non-black creature. And it's got fear that can only be blocked by artifact. So the idea essentially is, I'm super scary and I will kill anything that can be afraid. And then if you're afraid, I can kill you and you can't block me. But if, you, if I can't kill you, you can block me. So if you're, if you're something that won't get afraid, other black creatures or artifact creatures that don't get afraid, then, you know. So um, this was one of the most powerful vote cards. Probably Moldrifter was the most powerful, but this was up there. This plot played in tournaments. Uh, and the idea essentially is, look, it's a terror that costs what terror costs, but if you have an extra three generic mana, you can also get a 3-2 that sticks around. Um, so this is a good example of where Evoke plays at its best, which is, look, it's a functional spell. You'll want to play the spell in your deck. It does something you need to do. And if you have the mana, you can kind of just for you know pay a little extra and get a creature that sits around. Um, 
So that that seems, I don't know, pretty cool. Okay, next, Silvergill Adept. One and a blue for a 2-1 creature. So two, two total, one generic, one blue. It's a Merfolk Wizard. As an additional cost of cast a spell, reveal a Merfolk card from your hand or pay three. Uh, when a Silvergill Adept enters the battlefield, draw a card. So essentially, it's a cantrip creature for 2-1. The idea is it costs four and a blue or one and a blue. It costs one and a blue if you're playing a Merfolk deck, essentially. Um, and so the idea with this card is that to really make it efficiently, this is kind of like the lands, we like the idea that, look, you might play this card, you know, um, it's not great if you're not having a Merfolk, but let's say you're just playing a little bit of Merfolk. Oh, I can throw this in my deck, you know, uh, if I get trapped playing it at its for you cost, it's not ideal, but it's not horrible. Um, and the more I have Merfolk, you know, the better off it does. Uh, and that's one of the kind of cards. So we did it not just with the lands, but we did some of the reveal stuff um, on other cards as well. It's one of the little themes of the set. Um, and it's something we don't do a lot of. I actually, we probably should do more of. We tend to do it on mechanics on things that are larger, like dragons and things, just because we know that we're stuck in your hand. Um, but I do like the idea of, in order for you to have it on your hand, you have to have a high enough concentration in your deck. So, I mean, I think it's an interesting deck-building tool that we probably we could use more of. Okay. Okay, Soul Bright Flamekin. So, it costs one and a red. Uh, it costs one and a red. It's an elemental shaman. So, two mana total, one generic, one red. Um, it's a 2-1 creature. And uh, it has the following ability. Two, target creature gains trampled until end of turn. If this is the third time the ability is resolved this turn, you may add RRRRRRRR, so seven red mana, to your mana pool. Um, so one of the themes we played around with the, uh, the elementals was that if you activated them three times, um, it would generate a new effect. So the idea here is, look, this is a 2-1 for two mana that you could activate... Uh, to give something trample. So for two mana, you can give itself trample, you can give another creature trample. Um, but one of the cool things was, if you ever got to the point where you could spend six generic mana, it would turn into seven red mana. Um, and so that was one of the ways to sort of, you know, explode. And one of the things about the elemental deck in general was, there was a lot of activations that required red, but the elemental deck usually required you playing blue or sometimes green, you know, it was branching on colors. So this allowed you to, if you played this later in the game, get an explosion of red mana that you could use in some of the, the red-centric uh, activations. Um, and one of the fun things that you could do with this card is, I activate this three times, get a whole bunch of red mana, now I activate another ability on my elemental card three times to generate another ability. That it sort of, it could, it could lead to these really explosive turns where you got a whole bunch of things off at once. Okay, Sower of Temptation. Two blue, blue. Uh, it's uh, so four mana, two generic, two blue. It's a two-two fairy wizard. It's a creature, flying because fairies fly. Uh, when Sword of Temptation enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature for as long as Sword of Temptation remains on the battlefield. So essentially, what it is is it's a control magic, meaning I get to steal a creature, um, but there's an answer to it. Um, you know, this is similar to some of the white cards we do, where white sort of plays something, and then while it's in play, it, you know, exiles something. This is similar, except it's doing it a blue way. Rather than the thing going away, blue's taking control of it. Um, this is another... Uh, the fairy deck was pretty good. This is another card that showed up in fairy decks. 
Um, stealing creatures is a good answer to creatures. Uh, and so this definitely got played in the fairy decks. Um, Spell Stutter Sprite, one in a blue. Uh, creature Fairy Wizard, one one. So it costs two, one generic, one blue. Uh, it's got flash, it's got flying. And when Spell Stutter Sprite enters the battlefield, counter target spell with converted mana cost X or less, where X is the number of fairies you control. So this is another card that showed up in the fairy deck. Um, it's, it's got flash because it's a counter spell. Like one of the things we liked, each of the tribes we tried to give a flavor to, the fairies' flavor was they were tricky, they were sneaky. Um, and so counter spells made a lot of sense in the fairy deck. And here's a deck that's it's a counter spell, but it carries about fairies. Like you need to have fairies. Uh, and the idea is the more fairies you have in play, the larger the spell you can counter. Um, and uh, when we do count me's, one of the things we like to do is putting count me's on an enter the battlefield on a thing that is that thing. Because the idea is in a vacuum, well, the spell, uh, the spell spell to strike can uh, counter a spell that costs one mana because you get a count itself enters the battlefield, it, it now triggers, well, if nothing else, it's a fairy, so we like a lot of times to put scaling effects, as e, uh, ETB effects, on the creature, because it guarantees that the effect will at least be leveled at one. This obviously has flash, because it's a counterspell, I mean, it needs to be done in reaction, otherwise the ability just doesn't do anything, um, and so it's a good example, plus one of the things that we did with a bunch of the fairies was, we gave a bunch of them flash, the fairies already had flash, it was something that we were trying to give them a little bit of flavor. Um, originally, ironically, I think we were, we, we were going to give most of them flash, and then we ended up deciding that we'd give a lot of the blue ones flash and not the black ones, although there were, I think, a couple maybe black ones that flash. Because um, at the time, black wasn't one of the colors that had flash. Since then, black has gained flash. Black's now secondary in flash. So it's interesting, like, going back, black could have had more flash, you know, with, with, modern, with the modern uh, color pie. Okay, next. Um, Springjack Knight. So two and a white, so three total, two generic, one white. It's a two-one creature, a Kithkin Knight. Um, whenever Springjack Knight attacks, clash with an opponent. If you win, target creature gains double strike until end of turn. So each clashing player reveals the top card of the library, then puts that card on top or bottom. You essentially scry with it. Um, and a player wins if their card has the higher converted mana cost. So this is the... Um, clash mechanic. The idea was we liked the idea that you didn't quite know whether you can win or not. There's a little bit of suspense. Um, I talk a lot about how randomness can make excitement and if you can sort of contain the randomness so it doesn't feel completely random. Uh, and the reason we use top of the library is you can manipulate the top of the library. It's something you have some control over. Um, uh, and the idea here is, okay, well this is a 2-1 um, creature. Um, if I win the clash, I get to get double strike. Now maybe I give it to him. He gets to do two extra damage. Or um, maybe I give it to another creature that's bigger. Um, and this is a good example of a clash that has, you know, it can, this is a clash that has a decent amount of variance. Like if I'm attacking with a 4-4 creature, my 4-4 getting double strike is a pretty big deal. Um, now the, notice we did the trigger on the, it's an attack trigger, meaning my opponent gets to know information before they have to block. It's not as if, they would, you know, A, we want, I mean, there's some confusion if you gain double strike after blocking happens, because the first strike part of it doesn't happen. Um, but anyway, it also gave the opponent a little bit of knowledge of this is going to happen, now you can decide what you want to do with your blocking based on this. Um, as I said in my major podcast on Lorwyn, um, uh, this was not, um, Clash was not a particularly well-received mechanic, um, 
it's funny how much players like randomness in the play, but this was a little too blunt in its use of randomness. Um, and so ironically, this is one of those few mechanics that uses randomness but was more embraced by the uh, sort of the pros because it clashes and helps smooth your mana draw uh, than it was by the average people who just saw it as seeming too random, interestingly. So, okay, uh, Spring Leaf Drum. It's an artifact that costs one. Tap, tap an untapped creature you control. Add one mana of any color. Um, and the idea there was we were trying to do mana fixing, but we wanted to do mana fixing within the context of what you were playing. So the nice thing about this is it gives you mana, but mana of the colors you have, not the colors you don't have. Um, and that's we've repeated that card in other sets because it does a good, a good job of that. Um... Stink Drinker Daredevil. Two and a red, so uh, two generic, one red, three total. Uh, it's a 1-3 Goblin Rogue. It's a creature. An odd red creature with a toughness higher than power. Uh, giant spells you cast cost two less to cast. So I talked about how we did overlap of creature types, so maybe if you are playing Giants, you also may want to play some Goblins. Um, this was meant as a Goblin Helper. Um, one of the problems with Giants is Giants tend to be more expensive. They're bigger creatures. So we made a creature that allows you to get them out quicker. Um, it itself can't be a giant because giants are big, so it gets to be a goblin. So we get to sort of do some flavor. We get to help, you know, you could play this in your giant deck even if you don't have goblins. Or if you play this in your giant deck, maybe there's a little bit of encouragement now to do a little bit of, of goblin of goblin tribal. Okay. Um, one of the things I hope you'll see is that the, how many moving parts there are like, a set like Lauren, for example, where we're doing tribal, there's a lot of different things you need to do um, to try to do that. Okay, next is Summon the School. Three and a white. It's a tribal sorcery merfolk. So it's a sorcery, but it's tribal, meaning it counts as a merfolk. Create two 1-1 one, one blue merfolk creature tokens. Tap four untapped merfolk you control. Return Summon the School from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, so one of the themes I talked about with merfolk is that you tap merfolk as a resource to do things. This is a good example of, it's a card that makes more merfolk, and, and um, instead of being something that just, you know, it, we wanted it to be something you could repeatedly do, so what we did is we let you get it back from the graveyard. So it's a sorcery, but because you can sort of self-regrow it from the graveyard, it essentially says, hey, um, it acts a lot like an enchantment. Um, I mean, it's not sitting out, it can't be destroyed, um, but it has a lot of, hey, when you have the ability to do this, it's something you can do. Um, and the idea is um, that the merfolk I am making, I can use to help get this back. Um, now, the more you use it with other merfolk, I mean, for example, by itself, it can never get itself back. It makes two merfolk, you need four. So you really need other merfolk to get it going. Um, and once you get it going, though, you know, there can be a point in which, once you've cast it twice, um, the other thing you can do, like in Limited, for example, is have multiple of these in your deck. And you know, hope that the future one of these will help you. Um, normally you only play this if you're playing some merfolk because, you know, um, three white for two merfolk is not particularly strong. Um, it's only if you can get it back that the, the spell really is something, um, really something that you, you're going to build around. Okay, Sunrise Sovereign costs uh, five and a red, so six mana total, five generic, one red. It's a five-five giant warrior. Other giant creatures you control get plus plus two and trample. So this is a lord for giants. It's a little more expensive because it has to be a giant, so it has to be bigger. And since it's a little bigger, we make a little, you know, giants already are a little on the bigger side. So instead of a normal plus one, plus one, 
um, it's granting plus two, plus two. So just giants get a little bit bigger, and uh, trample's important because they're already big, and you're making them even bigger. So trample's a pretty good ability to grant them. So this, this is a nice, simple sort of giant lord. Okay, Sig River Guide. Costs white and a blue, so two mana total, one white, one blue. Uh, it's a legendary creature, a merfolk wizard, 2-2. Two, two. It has island walk, which means it can't be blocked as long as defending player has islands. We don't do land walk anymore, but uh, uh, land walk first showed up in alpha. There was forest walkers, I think an island walkers and swamp walkers in alpha. Actually, maybe mountain walkers. I think all the land walking, but planes walk. Um, anyway, um, for one and a white, target merfolk you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. Um, so the idea here was this was something that was protecting your merfolk. Um, this was obviously a legendary creature. Uh, you put it in your merfolk deck, and then it gave you a means to protect your merfolk. It was kind of... Um, often we talk about lords in the fence they enhance your creatures. This was something that didn't enhance them as much as it protected them. But it had a lot of that function of, oh, I put this in my deck, I want to have a lot of merfolk, and then it allows my merfolk to become harder to kill. So it, it acts a lot like a lord in that it enhances them, um, but it's does it in a slightly different way. Um, Tarfire costs one red mana, tribal instant goblin. Tarfire deals two damage to any target. So this is basically the shock, except it's like goblin shock. I think we actually called it goblin shock in playtest. Um, and it's a good example where we were playing around with what we could do with tribal. The idea being, oh, you have an extra shock if you're playing goblin tribal. If you're not, um, well, I mean, you have a shock regardless, but if you're playing Goblin Tribal, it's a shock that becomes stronger than a normal shock. Okay, next. Um, Thornum Amistice, artifact costs two. Non-creature spells cost one more to cast. Um, so one of, the way, one of the tools we gave to Tribal decks was not only we want them to sort of do their thing, but they wanted them to compete a little again against the non-Tribal deck. So this is the card that says, oh... Um, it's a really good sideboard card against a non-tribal deck, but a bad card against a tribal deck. So it's sort of, we gave some tools to the tribal decks to sort of fight against some of the non-tribal decks. Next, Thought Seize. Black. One black mana. Sorcery. Target player reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards their hand. You lose two life. Uh, so this is a very aggressive discard spell. Obviously, it's seen a lot of tournament play. Uh, we've reprinted it. It saw tournament play when we printed it. Um, it's a nice one-drop answer to things. Um, the thing that's cool from it is um, that it lets you get whatever, other than land, lets you get to whatever you want. It's just at the cost of life. Um, but early game with black, usually the spending of life is okay, and it really gives you some nice, clean, easy answers to some of the problems. Um, and I think we put it in the set to, to allow some of the black tribal races to have some answers to some of the problems they were running into. Okay. Thousand Year Elixir Artifact 3. You may activate abilities of creatures you control as, those, as though those abilities have haste. One tap, untap target creature. So the idea is this allows you, it allows your creatures to have haste but only for activated abilities. So essentially things that have a tap in them, normally you can't use right away, but with this ability out you can use right away. Um, there's a lot of tap abilities in the set, so this was sort of, once again, it's a tribal friendly card without exactly being a tribal card. It can go in any deck, um, but most of our tribes had activated abilities that required tapping, and so this was just a means to do that. Okay, Timber Protector, four and a green. Creature, Tree Folk Warrior, four, six. Um, other Tree Folk creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Other Tree Folk Enforce you control have indestructible. 
So this is again us playing around with this tie between tree folk and forests. Um, and this is the tree folk lord. Like I said, there's, there's lots of lords in the set because it's a tribal set. Um, so it boosts all the tree folk and it sort of makes them hard to kill. Um, one of the things that you often want to do when you're being a lord is you want to grant some ability to your team that is doing something useful. Um, the idea with tree folk we play ar- around with is the tree folk tend to have higher toughness. You know, they're, they're harder to deal with. And that one of the things about tree folk in lore is, well, how do you deal with it? You know, a, a tree is a pretty tough thing to deal with. I know in Lord of the Rings they play around a lot with that the Ents are quite powerful because what do you do? There are these giant trees. How, how, do, you, how do you stop the trees? Um, so we thought that was kind of cool. Okay, next. Uh, vigor. Three green, green, green. So six mana total. Three generic, three green. Um, it's an elemental creature. Um, I think it's... Is it a 6-6? Six, six? Yeah, it's a 6-6 six, six creature. Uh, it's got trample. Uh, if damage would be dealt to a creature you control other than vigor, prevent that damage and put a plus one plus counter on that creature for each one damage prevented this way. When Vigor is put into the graveyard from anywhere, shuffle those owner's library. So this was a cycle. It was a rare cycle. They were uh, incarnations, elemental incarnations, and they just had a global effect that was super powerful. They were 6-6s. Six I think they were all 6-6s. Six um, and the idea here, for example, this thing is when this is in play, your creatures, not only don't they take damage, they grow. They get bigger with time. Um, and that is, you know, I don't know a, a pretty cool ability, something you really have to, to deal with. It is definitely tricky. Um... Wanderer's Twig. One artifact. One sacrifice Wanderer's Twig. Search your library for a basic land card. Reveal it. Put it in your hand. Then shuffle your library. Um, one of the things we had to do with Tribal was there were a lot of different color combinations and we wanted to sort of help enable you. So you see there's a lot of mana fixing to help you go get stuff. I think we said basic land here just because we want you... We don't want you going to get the hideaway lands and a lot of other... Tri- there's a, there are a lot of lands in the set that were non-basic lands. So we just wanted you to sort of fix your mana without letting giving access to all the special lands that was going on. Okay. So I'm almost to work. So we're winding up here. Luckily, we're in the W, so we're getting close to being done. Um, Warren Pilfer- Pilfers. Uh, four and a black, so five total, four generic, one black. It's a 3-3 goblin rogue, so that's a creature. When Warren Pilferverse enters the battlefield, return target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. If the card is a goblin card, Warren Pilferverse gains haste on end of turn. So this is a good example. We take a basic effect that we have. So this is a grave digger. It's a creature that, you know, regrows a creature. But what this card says is, hey, look, you can just play me in any deck. I'm a four mana, three, three. And, you know, that gets back a creature. You can just play that in any deck. But, but, if you play me in a goblin deck, you just play me with a deck of goblins. And if you get back a goblin, I'll give you an extra bonus. So it's a good way to sort of, yeah, anybody can play this. It can go in any deck. It'll get, eventually get drafted. But the goblin player just can draft it a little bit higher because in a deck with a goblin, it's just a little bit stronger. Um, you know, and that is something that really um, we like to do because it encourages you. Um, it encourages you to sort of like, if you draft this, I mean... If you're playing goblins, it just makes you want to drop a little earlier. And we like cards like that where they have a little extra utility, meaning the goblin player is more likely to get it, but if, it, if they don't take it, you know, it will go to somebody else. Okay, Wings of Velus Vel. Tribal Instant Shapeshifter, Changeling. Until end of turn, target creature has base power and toughness 4-4, four, four, gains all creature types, and gains flying. So this is one of the things that's fun is essentially, essentially grants Changeling. I mean, it doesn't technically grant Changeling. 
Um, but it spells out the words that make something, uh, for all intents and purposes, have changeling. Then, um, one of the things we did is all the spells that are tribal changeling spells have to change you in some way, that they have a shapeshifter flavor to them. And so, obviously, this thing's turning you into a, a 4-4 changeling, essentially, with, you know, 4-4 flyer with, with, uh, with changeling. Um, and so that, there's a lot of fun tricks you could do. There's things in which you care about whether something is, or you're counting something, or your opponent's relying. Well, actually, this doesn't shut off things, because it, usually you care about, I mean, I guess there's a few negative cases where your opponent doesn't want a certain creature type, um, but most of the time this is used positively for yourself, because the way it's designed is it's something in which, usually granting changeling is something that's beneficial for you, because most of the benefits of being a certain creature type are having the creature type. Um, and so it was a nice way. Now, it also was a combat trick because it turned into a 4-4. It had sort of a pseudo-giant growth feel. Like it's a good example of a spell that just has lots and lots of functionality. Um, and there's a lot of different things you can do with it. Uh, and the neat thing is a lot of times you played it not for the changeling, but when the changeling came up, you had fun changeling moments. You had fun tribal moments with it. And that's the kind of thing we liked about the spell was you tended to take it for other things and then when changeling mattered, like having instant changing effects created really fun effects. And this sort of put it on a spell you'd probably take anyway, uh, and then when those things came up, you felt extra clever. Um, and so that was definitely very fun. Okay. Uh, oh, Wart Bogart, Ant- uh, Bogart Ante. So two black red, so it's four mana, two generic, one black, one red. It's a legendary creature, a goblin shaman, 3-3. Three, three. It's got fear, so it can't be black, except by black and artifact creatures. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may return target goblin card from your graveyard to your hand. Um, so one of the things we're playing around with, uh, goblins isn't black or red. Um, well, often black-green is sort of the, um, like when we do um, Golgari, that's the color that we sort of regrow things. In this set, black-red was the colors that did that. We did that more with goblins. The goblins sort of kept coming back. Um, and notice it says goblin card. That means, like, I early talked about the shock. That's the goblin shock. Oh, Wart Annie, not only can she get back your goblins, but she can get back your goblin spells. And so you're able to do stuff like that. Um, okay. Well, that's a good place to end, I guess, on Wart Bugger Annie. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed um, looking back at... Uh, or I hope you, uh, looking back at Lorwyn. Um, Lorwyn is a fun set. I mean, it's very funny when I look back at sets that I haven't done for a while. I mean, Lorwyn was a long time ago at this point. Um, you see a lot of, like, things we don't do anymore, but you notice a lot of the nuances. Um, like, one of the things I love when I go through sets is there's so much little tiny stuff woven in that sometimes the, the players see, but not all the players see. So I hope by doing these you get a little sense of, oh, I didn't get that or I didn't notice that. And, um, you know, we... One of the nice things about having so long to work on sets is there is time for nuance and time for a lot of cool effects. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that. hope you enjoyed the, the, the look through Lorwyn. Um, but anyway, I'm now at work. So we all know what that means. It means instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.